Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George Stahl, joined with uh, some usual culprits, Mr. Scott Reel and Anna Bryant and Seth Abram. We're so excited to be back with you. Um, Today, we want to talk about the observer effect. And by the way, we are going through the journey of transformation, Scott Reel's new book, yet to be released, but is picking up some steam as we're uh, using this book in some groups and people are just having a wonderful experience. And so this is a follow-up to Journey to Freedom. But we're gonna we're taking each of these days and just giving you guys some highlights. And today we want to talk to you about the observer effect. Every paradigm shift includes an observer effect, which is the proven ability of observation to influence outcomes. Do you realize that? We can influence outcomes by the ways we think. But Dr. Caroline Leaf in her book, Switch on the Brain, says how we think can affect phenomena, space, and time. Mind actually changes matter. We as the observers can turn possibilities into realities. And the space between stimulus and response is the moment to stop and observe. That's what we want to talk about today. So Scott... What are we looking for in that moment of stopping to observe? Well, I think for me, when I was writing this and just studying this material, that that was a phenomenal uh, awakening for me that how I'm observing, what I'm, what I'm seeing, actually can manifest itself into a physical reality. That And, and so... You know, we talked about, a lot of listeners may remember Zig Ziglar, but, you know, we talked about stinking thinking. But I, I think about how I've struggled with thinking and seeing things through a very negative lens, a dark lens. And it was manifesting itself into much of the reality that I was dealing with. And so that is, a, to me, such a huge thing that changing how I see, especially affecting the observer, Moving away from a shame-based, dark lens, and, the, and just doubt. I, I, I realized that so much of my struggles had come from doubt. And the, the, the patience, patience to be still and to wait on God and trusting that He is going to grow something into my life. And that I can trust Him in that, that became a new lens. So how we see what we're looking for has enormous implications on our well-being. Scott, you were uh, you mentioned in our pre-production recording when we were talking pre-recording when we were talking about this that you've been thinking a lot about patience lately, and how in that moment how important patience is. Can you talk? Can you tell us a little bit about well, how that works out for you? Yeah, Harry Nowen says that we learn to be patient and to wait with a sense of promise, and and then Dr. Leaf and what her material was saying that that having a hopeful mindset of being able to be patient. I realize that it's really difficult to be patient without hope. If, if I'm not hopeful, I'm going to be, I'm going to make rash decisions. I'm going to run ahead into situations I don't need to, instead of being able to trust that in this moment, something is growing and it is good and I need to be patient. Yeah, I just, this is interesting. Yesterday I had an experience, just yesterday, that taught me the value of patience. Uh, I went to this park here in Nashville called Radnor Lake for a hike, and I was on a tight schedule, and I was running out of gas, and there's like this one little gas station called the Granny White Market, which is right beside the entrance to the park. 
And I never pulled in there to get gas, so but I had to, or I wasn't going to get out of there. So I got some gas, and there's a dog loose. And Granny White, this is like at 5 o'clock, and it is, mm-hmm. cars are going 50, 60 miles an hour down there, and this dog's going to get killed. And you could see her collar, and she had a tag, but she would not get near anyone. And so I was like, okay, we've got to save this dog. And so I'm trying to get this dog to stay off the interstate to get in my car. She won't. And suddenly somebody else started to help me. Somebody. Then this lady showed up to get gas. And she happens to be a, a lot of experience as a dog rescuer. And she, here's what she says. She goes, don't make any rash moves at the dog. You have to be patient and get the mm-hmm. dog to be able to trust you. And then she'll come. Otherwise, if you make a rash move at her, you're going to scare her away. She's going to run off. The only chance we have is to be very still and patient and wait for her to go trust. And so I ended up sitting there for an hour on a curb with this dog. And she finally comes over. She sits down by us. But if you made any movement towards her, she started to spook. And we were able to take a picture of her collar, get the phone number off the collar, call her owner, and we saved the dog. But it took over an hour. But what saved the dog was patience. Wow. And I thought, That's so- when it was over, I went for my walk. I thought, God, what did you just teach me? It taught me that you, just the value of patience versus running ahead of God and running ahead and uh, trying to force something to happen when it's not its time. Seth, help us understand. That's, good. Um, that's very good, Scott. And Scott would save any animal. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Dogs are at the top of the list, but there wouldn't right. be an animal but that Scott would not stop well. on the freeway there's, to save. Yes, there's no yes. limit to the animals that he will not save. <laughs> so God has definitely given him patience with animals for sure. So he's like uh, the monk Seth. You talk talk to animals. <laughs> yes. What was that? Yeah. What was that? Uh, who was the guy? A CC, right? Yeah, Francis. St. Francis. There it St. Is. Francis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's your new I think nickname. He was, I, Seth um, help us understand we got to stay focused in this space to pay attention so help us understand a little about that how we can keep sustained attention yeah sustained attention in my mind we kind of talked about last week how there there is a system in place for how we automatically will respond if we're not you know awake to that and so we all have a specific way that our attention is already set up, right? Um, our conditioned responses, a, right? A, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we've, we all have a, like a specific patterning of our regular stimulus and conditioned re- response to that stimulus. Everybody's got their own version of, the, of that uh, stimulus and response and how they operate with every decision or situation that comes to them. So to me, the observer effect has to do with the sustaining of our attention for longer periods of time, practiced periods of times, uh, which is super important so that we can stay with the rising and the falling of our automatic thoughts, emotions, and sensations. And then in the ability to staying with those rising and falling, we learn to not attach to them and you know continue to go with the regular conditioned response. And this way, we, we lengthen and we increase a capacity that maybe wasn't there before. Um, but it includes bearing discomfort, like that that space between stimulus and response. It means feeling emotion that I would normally uh, use my conditioned response to cope against feeling, right? It means feeling something 
that I wouldn't normally like feeling or even notice that I wasn't feeling or avoiding, you know? Uh, I remember uh, recently, for an example, uh, some I got off a phone call with someone uh, and it was some, I forget exactly what the, the content of the situation was, but it was uncomfortable for me. And I remember as soon as I got mm. off the phone, I wanted to go to social media. And, and I realized, oh, this is, this is a regular conditioned habit because the stimulus for me was I didn't like what that was and I feel some level of in, uncomfortable emotion and I need to use my regular way of not feeling the emotion. And so I'm going to use my phone to discharge that in this you know, semi-unhealthy way. But I noticed it because of my practice and all of my other practices of um, working on a sustained attention. And I was able to, oh, take a deep breath, feel the, the emotion that's, that was some kind of anxiety uh, and process the rising and the falling of that. And in doing so, um, I deepened and I lengthened my attention in that, a bit, in, that, in that moment to be able to practice it again next time. So Seth, you're saying the instinct is to run or Absolutely. to run to something that's going to uh, stop us from observing what's going on at a deeper level under, under the surface. And so yeah. this observer effect is facing that. And Anna, I want you to talk a little bit about um, how when we do stop and observe, it's not just something you know we're doing in our minds, but we actually believe we're getting help along the way that there's something that's guiding us. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, again, stopping and observing, like Seth said, like kind of what's happening in our mind, in our emotions, in our body, right? So we have to be like really tuned into that, which takes practice and mindfulness, right? It does, it's because we're conditioned to um, have some sort of, at some level, dysfunctional response to things that are uncomfortable to us. Um, and that's where we have these um, conditioned responses to stimulus, right? When we don't when we don't leave space in between to observe, we just pull on through. Um, so yeah, slowing down, having the patience, like Scott said, to really observe those things about us, our, our emotions, our thoughts, and our, our feelings that are in our body. And then to not only observe that in ourselves, but also um, I think being really mindful of observing how that uh, fits and correlates with what's going on around us, whether that is like in relation to another person or another relationship or just a set of circumstances that could be triggering, whether that's like a stress response. And so observing not only just in ourselves, but taking time to maybe like stop the conditioned response and then think through like, okay, if I go to this conditioned response, like what is, what's, what's the uh, effect of that? Not only on me and my actions. So like Seth was saying, like sometimes we're really conditioned, like if we're feeling stress or some kind of negative emotion that we don't want to feel, mm -hmm. we, we numb out. And a lot of times it's something that's, you know, seemingly inconsequential, like just scrolling through our phone or something like that. But at the core of it, we are, we're short-circuiting some kind of emotion, right? We're trying to escape some kind of feeling that we don't want to feel. And our feelings are um, are important because they are, they're guideposts for us, right? They're indicators telling us, some, they're communicating something to us that we need to pay attention to. So, like, knowing that of our own feelings, but also, like, observing, okay, so... What what is my conditioned response like trying to escape personally, but also like if I follow through with 
this conditioned response, how is that going to affect the overall situation that I'm in, whether it's something that's just like circumstantial stress or if it's like relational stress, how's that going to affect the other person? So that's where it's really key to um, engage our empathy and our sympathy and really putting ourselves kind of outside of just ourselves and our own limited perspective, but trying to look through another lens to see how that goes beyond just the immediate what's affecting me. Let's talk about that, that other lens, that other paradigm, that listening beyond ourselves so we're not just drawing on our own resources. Because there is this moment where we're thinking about what we're thinking, how we're thinking about what we're thinking. Mm-hmm. But Scott, we, we really believe, I mean, even in the 12 steps, the second step is, is what? Coming to believe. The, coming to believe, yeah, that we're surrendering to a higher power. So we, all, we have different words for this, right? Some call it Christ, some call it the Holy Spirit, some call it the muse, some call it, you know, whatever you want, want to call it. But we're, we're, we're getting some help and guidance. We're not left to just our own intelligence and wit, we get help on how to move our hearts, our minds, and our lives to a more healthy place. So talk a little bit about what that is. Yeah, there was this interesting you bring up step two, because of all the 12 steps I've always heard, and I've also experienced it, that is probably the most important step, but it's also, even though it's a short one, it's the most difficult, because it's all precipitated upon my future. How do I see God? Do I, do I, and, and what, is the lens in which I'm going to be looking through because it's going to be very difficult to turn my life over to the care of God if I don't trust Him. If I don't believe that He loves me and is there for me and will fight for me and has my heart. In his book, Seven Habits, Covey says that everything we, we see it twice. We see it twice. It's created twice, he says. And that initial vision of what we believe is going to be and then we actually manifest itself. So it's created twice. And Lee, in her book, I was just reading this this week, she says a very similar thing. And just how important it is that we're looking through a lens that has faith, hope, and love in it, which is going to have a huge impact on, am I going to be able to trust God with my life? Am I going to be able to trust you? How do I, you know, the, the faith? And so she says to think positively about the prospects to think positively about our prospects, we must be able to imagine ourselves in the future. Our brains may have stamps from the past, but they are being rewired by our expectations of the future. Imagining a positive future reduces the pain of the past. Faith in God's promises and His love for us motivates us to pursue our goals. Hope leads to expectations, which creates peace, excitement, health in our minds, and increases our brains and our body's health. So that's just how important it is that what we are seeing and how we are seeing, from, and again, like you were saying, George, from stimulus to response, what is the lens that I'm looking through? And so that's really the whole premise of this book that I wanted to create is, what are you believing? Because what you're believing is going to affect what you see, and that ultimately is what you're going to believe. And so... So how do we change our future? We change what we believe, and we change what we believe, we change what we see, and we change what we see, everything changes. It's the lens. That's how important that lens is. All right, let me read something to you out of the book, and then I want you guys to to respond. Um, Deep transformation happens when we observe and make choices from the sacred space Mm. 
where the divine dwells. Mm -hmm. This is the space between stimulus and response. What does that mean for each of you? The sacred space where the divine dwells. That's where deep transformation happens. I think for me, it's just taking a minute to try to circumvent my normal, natural human response and creating space for a different uh, response that incorporates a certain amount of divine intervention, right? It's going beyond my own natural resources, my own conditioned normal responses, and inviting in something that is different and beyond my own resources. Yeah, I like that. And you know, for me, that sacred space is where my ego is silent. Um, in that sacred space, I get quiet. And that's where contemplative praying has really helped me in just being still and being quiet and listening to that still voice. Um, I was listening to reading that verse the other day where it says, uh, you'll hear a voice and it will tell you, you know, go to the right or go to the left, you know, and I, in that sacred space, there's love and love casts out all fear. I just, and truth for me is that so many of my choices from stimulus to response are controlled by a fear-driven ego that wants to control versus believing and trusting that there's this loving, sacred spirit is going to guide me to the best place. Um, and I need to be, this is where we, as we talked about in the beginning, patience and, and waiting. But it's, at the center of it is hope. And, and, and I, I think that I have found for me that love and hope are so, faith, hope, and love are just so powerful. And the trinity of those three for my life is that sacred space. Scott, you told me one time um, the ego is always on the move. So get still to know how to move. So for you, that's, that's where the divine dwells is slowing down getting still to know how to move instead of the ego pushing you or, or making you move. And it is interesting you said it because mm -hmm. I, I have found that in the most stressful times of my life, I, I need to walk more. And when I do mm -hmm. it, and I walk in silence, listening to God. So I go to this park called Radnor Lake, which I just talked about earlier. And when I get on the trails in the woods, I'm with nature and there's deer and there's birds and there's, there's squirrels and just, just you know, I, I'm out of the city, and I'm, there's this beautiful lake, and uh, it's that is my that's my divine space. That's my sacred space. And as I walk, my mind slows down, and I and everything slows down. And it's like I can all of a sudden now I can hear God's whispering voice to me, um, and I cannot get that when I'm constantly ruminating and and trying to control outcomes of so many things and, and again there's it's fear is always at the center of that and, and we know that when the brain gets in a rhythmic movement the brain slows down that's why they have like contemplative walking as many of the processes so i do better with than just sitting in a chair doing my contemplative praying i do my walking every every sometimes i go three times a day if i'm under a lot of stress and it always always connects me to that sacred space. Seth, you told me a story about your kids that I think is a beautiful example of where the divine dwells, but it, it seemed like it was a distraction at first. Could you could you talk a little bit about that? How how you yeah. observed that moment and found something deeper and 
divine. Yeah, in definitely. It? Let me set it up too by by saying I think um, this is the this is where we co-create. You know, um, Scripture talks about co-creating with God, and I think this is where it comes from. Uh, this is the ground from which co-creation can happen. It comes from something new, not in our old uh, habitual ways of thinking. It's out of the returning to the present moment. Mm. That's what I see as the sacred space, the very immediacy of the present moment, you know, where the old falls away. And like Scott is naming, uh, we hear the still small voice that's available only in the present moment. That I would say the capital P present, you know, uh, as well. Uh, and it reminds me actually of is this Thomas Keating quote who he, he uh, is kind of expounding on a, an older Rumi quote who said that God's first language is silence. All else is poor translation. Um, wow. But yeah, the, this, the, uh, the a lot story, of poor translation going on, Seth. Oh yeah. <laughs> For real. Um, the, the story though with my kids is, um, so I have a early morning routine because I have four children and they're all pretty young still. And so the only like real deep, important time to myself that I can get that I learned a, a couple years ago was waking up before everybody else wakes up in the morning. And that, you know, I've got early risers, so that means waking up pretty early. And it's inevitable that a couple times a week, you know, one of them wants to wake up just as early as I do. And, you know, for the first few times that would happen, it, I just saw it as this massive distraction. You know, I kept on thinking... There's, I can't wake up any earlier. This is impossible. How am I supposed to have time for myself? Mm. Uh, and it was a frustration. It was, uh, it was a distraction is what I was only seeing it as. Until I was able to, there was one morning where my wife texted me, uh, hey, can you get Bear, our one-year-old, because um, uh, she needed a break. And I just, my immediate stimulus was, this is a distraction and I'm really frustrated. This is mm-hmm. my time. And then I gave myself a, a pause and I took a deep breath. And there, in, that, in that silence, after I let the poor translation pass, um, <laughs> I heard the still small voice of, this isn't only a distraction, this is also an invitation. Uh, and so I was able to allow, in a, in a strange kind of way, my one-year-old son to be a practice of receiving the divine in that moment as well. It wasn't only in the practice of meditation, but I was able to take my meditation practice and, and move it into real life where I could now be more deeply with my son as well. I was, you know, counting my breaths. I was looking more deeply into his eyes uh, than I would have previously. So, mm. yeah. Wow. You actually discover that the action was in what you thought was a distraction that now you perceived as an invitation mm-hmm. and you would have missed it if you weren't observing or patient to listen to that moment. That, that's, that's just beautiful. One thing that you talked about in this chapter was that our brains produce a set of code line. I think I'm saying that word right. Which so like our brain chemistry is working with us when we stop to observe that our brain begins to work with us and it's helping us pay attention. It's helping us be still. It's wanting us to watch and observe. So we have brain chemistry. We have a divine presence that that's guiding us. We have beautiful minds and hearts that are trying to help us perceive what is truly going on in us and around us. But uh, this is a real thing, the observer effect. So final word from each of you. What do you want us us listeners to take away from this today? Well, for me, it's uh, when a listener gets the book, it'll be on page 63, but it's 
we observe, we observe our way out of our situations that we find ourselves in in life. It's always there. And that last little sentence, we just fail to see it. And I think mm. that that has been what has had a crippling effect on my life. And where now I'm starting to grow into a much healthier place um, because I've always failed to see God at work in my life and to be able to, to be still and to wait and to be patient, all the things we've talked about today, and to be able to, to have a whole new lens of hopefulness that I'm looking through, um, that affects what I see. So again, back to the premise of the book, we don't believe what we see, we see what we believe. And learning to, to see is everything. If I'm looking through a hopeful lens that trust and has faith, and it is growing in me. Like Leaf says, it affects everything. My, my brain chemistry, my whole world, sense of well-being, and my life. Um, and, and I know this is hard for a lot of people but to believe that, that, that I'm actually creating, manifesting into my life what I see and what I believe. And uh, that is a gigantic paradigm shift of hope. How we see is what we see. Anna, how about you? What's, what's the takeaway for this? Observer effect. I think that it cannot be overstated the importance of paying attention in life, paying attention to yourself, paying attention to the world around you and nature, paying attention to relationships, paying attention to what is good and right, just paying attention and not being so self-absorbed man it is a game changer well thank you anna and seth the newest um, member of of our restore team with the final word <laughs> on the observer effect yeah I, i'm i'm just thinking about the slight tweak in language that i i've found uh, so helpful over the years of i am not my thoughts i have thoughts uh, is this healthy, slight tweak in in, dif- in distance and separation because of observation, which brings more awareness. So I am not my thoughts. I have thoughts. I am not my emotions. I have emotions. Uh, it's why I, I teach my kids to, um, when, they see it, when they say something like, I'm, I'm sad right now. Instead, it's a healthy change to say, I feel sad because there's someone that's having the thoughts and feelings rather than, that's not who you are. That's what you're, what you're doing right now. And that gives you a healthy distance to be able to manage them a little bit more. And I think whatever the brain can see, the brain can heal. It can have a little bit more wow. control over. And also, the, the last thing I'll say is Anna zoned in a little bit earlier on, on just sensations in the body. And I, I forget where I heard this from, but I do think sometimes when we, it, it's so easy to get wrapped up in our minds and our thoughts, and these things can be so intense sometimes. It is much easier to relax our bodies than relaxing our thoughts. And that's mm. actually what helps us sometimes relax our thoughts. After our body is relaxed, then, then the thoughts can more easily do so. George, you guys, the, the quote that we open this chapter with from Andy Stanley, where he says, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. And mm. for me, it's like, do you, if you can't see where you're going, the direction, then you don't have that vision. It doesn't matter what, how strong your intentions are, 
you're going to miss where you, your ultimate, your good destination. It all starts with the ability to see where am I going with God. Pay attention to what you pay attention to because that determines what mm-hmm. you miss. Yeah, that's what Thompson says in Anatomy of the Soul, that most of us, we're not seeing what God wants us to see. What he wants us to be paying attention to. Yeah, mm-hmm. constantly like challenge yourself to look at things from a different angle. Exactly. Yeah, why am I seeing it this way? And physically, it's having an effect on me. I feel anxiety, I feel anxious, mm-hmm. I feel depressed, it's despair. Versus seeing it through a different lens that has a positive expectation of that God is going to use this, even if it is difficult, there's something good that's going to grow from it. Well, you're hearing it here, friends. We as the observers can turn possibilities into realities. And so, Scott, Seth, Anna, thank you. Um, A lot of good thoughts and, and wisdom for us to think on. So, how we see is what we see. And to see rightly is to be able to be fully present. That's that's what we're talking about here. Without fear, without bias, without judgment, just grace and gentleness to ourselves and, and those around us. But we can see differently. And because of that, we can experience a different result. So although we, every one of us is on a different path, we are all traveling the same human journey. So no one has to go it alone. We'd love for you to visit us online at Restore Small Groups to learn more about online and in-person groups you can join. We'd love to journey with you along the way, so please reach out to us. But over every mountain, there is a path, and the future rewards those who discover it and press on. So stay on the path and take care, friends. Mm -hmm.